Thank you for listening to CFB Talks Digital Assets. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. It is not intended, nor should it be considered an invitation or inducement to buy or sell any of the underlying instruments cited, including, but not limited to, crypto assets, financial instruments, or any instruments that reference any index provided by CF Benchmarks Limited. This recording is not intended to persuade or incite you to buy or sell a security or securities noted within. Any commentary, interviews, and discussions are opinions only and should not be considered a personalized recommendation. Please contact your financial advisor or professional before making any investment decision. Some of the underlying instruments cited within this recording may be restricted to certain customer categories in certain jurisdictions. Then when we think of um, PayPal dollar or whatever it's called, PYUSD, the new stablecoin announced by PayPal um, this week. What you're seeing essentially is, you know, a major established financial institution harnessing uh, blockchain technology. You know, we all want to strive for fully decentralized protocols and, and networks, but overall you're still getting more adoption into the space so christian are you gonna are you gonna use this um new paypal dollar well uh jury's still out i mean uh let's see let's see um i, I like to give things uh, you know a bit of time to really see how they they stabilize uh, uh but it's interesting that you bring this out it seems like it's not only something that paypal is uh planning on doing so it seems like paxos is intending to release this sort of stable coins for other traditional companies um so i think this is um, you know, overall great for, for crypto, just uh, uh, bring, you know, a broader adoption that goes beyond the, the, the traditional crypto ecosystem. And that's always good and, and welcome. You're listening to CFB Talks Digital Assets, the home of informed conversation about crypto for institutions building the future of finance, presented by CF Benchmarks. I'm Ken O'Delaga, Head of Content, and I'm joined by Gabe Selby, our Lead Research Analyst. Hey everybody, thank you very much for joining us for another episode of CFB Talks Digital Assets. Now today, we are going to talk about the CF Digital Asset Classification Structure. It is the fairly unique taxonomy for the digital asset universe provided by CF Benchmarks. We have actually talked about this in the past, but we thought today we'd do a much deeper dive on that subject. Now to that end, we are joined by our colleague, Christian Isaac who is CF Benchmarks' lead quantitative research analyst and is also a product manager. So, uh, Christian, we are stoked to have you. Welcome aboard. Thank you very much. I'm excited to, to be here, guys. Brilliant. Um, so, Christian, I think just to get things going, uh, let's examine that question. Why do cryptos need a taxonomy? Why do cryptocurrencies need a classification system at all? Yeah, uh, thanks for asking uh, that, Ken. I think it's a good question and an important one to to ask yourself in in in, in the crypto and the blockchain economy. In essence, uh, you know, when we first incepted our classification structure, uh, the, the DAX, um, uh, the main idea was for it to uh, help investors better understand and um, sort of make sense of the blockchain economy, which which sometimes, especially at the beginning, was not an easy feat given. Uh, you know, it was still uh, and, and still is a relatively new technology. 
the use cases of, of crypto grew very rapidly. Uh, and so it was very easy to sort of lose yourself in a notion of new buzzwords, applications and, and use cases. So uh, a crypto um, classification structure, just in the same spirit as the uh, well-known global industrial classification uh, structure that is uh, you know, better known as the gigs in traditional finance, uh, helps the investor to get a, uh, an intuitive understanding of the blockchain economy, and most importantly, to, to better understand their portfolio, uh, better understand their risk exposure, or, or where their return is, is coming from. This way, uh, they, they can practice, uh, first of all, you know, financial discipline, and uh, therefore make uh, informed investment decision. So um, in a nutshell, I would say that, uh, you know, it is, it is very important to, to have such a crypto taxonomy structure, if you will, uh, to really get a good grasp of the tokens that one might invest in and, and put their money at. You know, when we look at a classification structure or taxonomy on the blockchain economy and how it should all work, I think there's instances where you'll probably find out that uh, the way the blockchain economy works with their tokens can be very specific to digital assets. Um, additionally, there are examples where you might find that they're they're quite similar. So just to give you a quick example on you know how things could be quite different, um, a large category of tokens are uh, could be categorized as you know like a utility token or that style of token, which is essentially you know if you have a blockchain that serves as a layer two uh, blockchain. So this is a blockchain on top of a blockchain is what that means. And maybe this could be used for scaling. That's something that's quite popular in the layer two space. Basically, if you're going to use that layer two blockchain, the utility token will be used to execute transactions on that blockchain. You will pay the transaction fees using that that uh, utility token. So there's this inherent tokenomics, this demand that if if you are you know a viable uh, scaling solution on layer two that's settling on a layer one, such as like the Ether Ethereum network, you're going to see a demand for the value of those tokens just kind of, you know, build or ebb and flow as as the demand persists. So another example now where I think things should be quite similar is when you look at these decentralized autonomous organizations. Um, you've probably heard of this term called DAOs. That's what it stands for. For these types of organizations, a lot of these uh, issue these, these tokens, which are basically very akin to uh, voting share classes on common stock. So if you own these tokens, you're going to be able to vote on proposals or initiatives or changes to how the protocol operates. Um, so it's, it's very, very similar to uh, how uh, you know, a voting share class would work in a corporation. But I think it's these nuanced distinctions, these distinctions that make it important to have, I think, a crypto kind of centric classification structure for practitioners. So when you look at, you know, to me, how does the blockchain economy work and its unique characteristics and how are institutions going to use the taxonomy that's more tailored to this asset class? You know, basically you're going to find use cases for investors where they're going to be, as Christian was saying, uh, measuring their ex exposure, you know, to various categories or segments, but it doesn't have to stop there. Um, you know, researchers like myself or Christian are going to use uh, this taxonomy or classification structure to dive into topics and study things. You know, we're going to be going into this a little bit later in the episode, not to give any spoilers, but you can do all sorts of quantifiable analysis. And then, you know, lastly, I think something that's not very, uh, that's not talked about too often is uh, lending. You know, if you are 
to a crypto lender, maybe you're not in the DeFi space, but maybe you're an over-the-counter lender and you're trying to, you know, measure, you know, your, your exposure in your loan portfolio. Uh, of course, you could use a taxonomy or classification structure just like you do in the traditional financial uh, sense. So, yeah, I think these are, you know, just a quick high level overview of how uh, the classification structures can really benefit uh, institutional players. Digging a little bit deeper, I want uh, to get Christian to talk about some of the specific uh, fundamental principles and the basis of classification for the CF benchmarks, uh, CF DAX, the CF Digital Asset Classification Structure, because these are quite um, unique to our, our own taxonomy. So I just wondered if you could sort of like um, give us an introduction and give us some um, sort of an explanation of that, Christian. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, the the CF tax, that is the CF digital asset classification structure, uh, is uh, so in, in essence a robust and uh, multi-level system for classifying and uh, segmenting dig digital assets by their um, you know sort of uh, functional purpose. So um, we, we we have a public methodology available for anybody to visit on our website. And that is, in fact, uh, you know, subject to very stringent rules. Um, so, so one of the most important features of the DAX are, uh, you know, the, the, the fundamental principles by which it is uh, governed, as you well point out. And uh, the first one uh, is uh, mutual exclusivity. And what this means is that, uh, you know, no asset can exist, in essence, in more than one category, one category at any point in time. Because if that was the opposite, you know, if you if you would have one asset part of multiple categories at the same time, you would what you would and in essence have is a, a mere set of labels that, from a you know from an investment perspective, for instance, it's just uh, not informative enough. And that brings me to to the second uh, fundamental pr principle, which is you know evolution, which is um, referring to to the fact that uh, the DAX encompasses today's um, as well as as well as tomorrow's. Uh, trends, while at the same time allowing for assets to move between categories as they evolve over time and as the industry, uh, you know, evolves in, in itself. And last but not least, uh, you know, the third uh, fundamental principle is uh, universality. So uh, what this means is that uh, uh, the classification must be uh, comprehensive at all times and include uh, all eligible assets in, in the universe. Now, having said this, um, another component um, and arguably the most important one is, is the method of classification that is employed in order to, to carry out the actual classification of, of the assets. First of all, the, the, the assets that the DAX classifies are um, you know, assets and tokens that are associated with a, with a specific uh, software protocol that uh, you know either operates a blockchain network or operates on on top of a blockchain network as, as Gabe was, was pointing out earlier. So um, the means to classify the digital assets in question is essentially by analyzing the usage and adoption of, uh, of, of the software protocol associated with the dig digital asset in question. So for example, just for visualization purposes, I think it's always easier to understand uh, by, uh, by an example. In the same way that a traditional automotive equity is classified as being part of uh, the automotive um, sector, because at the end of the day, it derives its revenue from, from selling, obviously, automotive products. Well, um, software protocols that are um, adopted and used in the area of, uh, for instance, borrowing and lending, 
such as Abit, for instance, which is in essence a, a, a platform for where you can borrow uh, and lend funds, uh, you know, will be classified as, as, uh, as an asset part of the finance sector in the, in the tax taxonomy. Uh, to be specific, it will be part of, you know, the borrowing and lending segment. And with this, you know, um, the classification structure really enables the ability to, to group assets that are, uh, you know, first, first of all, correlated together. Uh, it can help define peer groups. Uh, it can also help to allow for, for the ability of measuring, uh, you know, sectorial performance uh, and then allow to, to conduct overall different types of, you know, portfolio analysis, for instance. And all of this is intuitive, you know, and, and, uh, and sort of maintains fidelity to, to, to the nature of, of the digital asset uh, class, which is, you know, the crypto asset class, and, and therefore to, to the blockchain economy. One of the things that I realized when I first started writing about the DAX, which was um, probably sometime last year, was the fact that it was a highly visual system. In a way, visualization enables understanding of the system um, because it's um, a system that is intended to be uh, sort of like remembered and utilized, I think, uh, visually. Now, I mean, there's evidence of that because we do have on this year benchmark website something which we call a token explorer. If you navigate to CF Benchmarks, go to CF DAX, it's one of the menu items at the top of the screen, you will find the CF DAX token explorer. Um, so I'd just like to basically describe that to our audio audience right now. So the CF DAX is essentially, visually speaking, a tripartite system divided into specific categories and subcategories which um, relate to categories and subcategories of blockchain protocols, right? The first category that we can mention is the sector application category. It's uh, sort of like at the top, and then there's another sort of a semicircle, a third of a circle, I should say, round. You have the settlement layer. Then a little bit further around, the third section of the circle, you have the services category. Now, these categories, these three categories, are then subdivided into additional categories. So for sectors, it's divided into finance, culture, and industry. For settlement, it's divided, obviously, into programmable and non-programmable, which is, of course, essentially Bitcoin and Ether. Uh, and services is divided into infrastructure and utility. Now, Christian, I think um, the good way to go for this is if you could take us into some of the further subdivisions, uh, so um, like the segments and the descriptions of the subcategories. Absolutely. I mean, uh, as, as you well point out, Ken, um, there is further subdivisions of these subcategories in order to add this extra level of granularity to, to the taxonomy. Uh, and, and, and in fact, uh, the DAX, uh, what I would like to point out is that uh, it has undergone some significant changes, uh, which only happened you know, relatively recently, one or two months ago. Uh, and, and, it, and it relates in particular to having this third level, third taxonomy level, you know, uh, and therefore contributing to one additional level of granularity to the classification structure itself, as I mentioned. So, so in essence, what this means is that we further broke down subcategories uh, such as finance protocols or culture protocols, as you mentioned, into their corresponding segments, which sort of allows us to zoom into all these subcategories and see um, what their granular composition is. For instance, the finance segment can be further classified into uh, you know, uh, trading protocols, asset and wealth management uh, protocols, uh, borrowing and lending, as I mentioned earlier with the example of Aave, and so on. 
Likewise, uh, you know, uh, the culture subcategory can be further broken down into uh, NFT platforms, uh, social uh, protocols, gaming, uh, and, 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 and other. And without, you know, um, uh, you know go, going further into the weeds of it, uh, this has also naturally been, been, been applied to, to the remaining categories in, in order to provide that extra level of granularity, which can be useful to, to better understand the behavior of our investment portfolios and, and decisions. And I think Gabe was mentioning earlier some, some of the use cases, uh, but one of the most prominent ones that we've had is, you know, uh, quarterly attribution reports that Gabe has been uh, very kindly running for us. And, you know, I was actually curious uh, about your, your experience with it, Gabe. You know, basically, what was your experience to, to run this sort of reports via the lens of, of DAX? Yeah, I mean, I, I've found it to be immensely valuable in, in summary. And so, you know, like, as you mentioned, we do do this exercise quite consistently now. Um, every quarter after each index rebalance, we run these reports and we break the performance down by all of these uh, categories, subcategories, segments, what have you. Um, and that really allows um, the, the reader to pretty much understand what really drove the performance of the market. So, you know, for example, um, and we can throw up a visualization, um, you know, on, on the video, but for those that are listening, you know, you, you can run over to our website. We've got all of our QAR reports there and um, they're, they're pretty interesting to follow along with. But, you know, for example, if we look at our large cap, our diversified large cap index, uh, we break that out by the categories and you'll see just how, you know, each segment gets bucketed up and how big the settlement layer one is of the index. And so what that tells you is, well, that weight's pretty significant and that's probably me driving the index. So in, in the last quarter, we had pretty, I would say, narrow breadth of positive performance. Um, and it was mostly driven just by those two mega cap tokens, Bitcoin and Ether. And if you were to look at our attribution report, you would see how everything else, you know, could be read. But because of the small weighting in the index, you'll, you won't see that really materially drag down the performance and the index will perform kind of mostly in line with Bitcoin and Ether in this instance. So you, you can have absolute performance on these tokens, you know, like I said, deeply underperforming. The, the NX level, but as long as, you know, these heavily weighted tokens are performing well, you'll see that the performance of the index can be quite good. So it, it really just kind of helps put this all in perspective. One thing that was kind of interesting that you highlighted when we were talking about, I guess, the, the evolution of the DAX, I understood that it, it went through some recent changes. Um, we went, we used to have just a two layer system. And now we're at a, a three layer, which is something that you were deeply involved with. Um, so I think it's just important to kind of highlight again that this, it can evolve. It, you know, this system can evolve. It's not, you know, set in stone. And that's important because again, when we think about why does uh, the crypto space need a crypto centric taxonomy, it's because the nature of the asset class is very nascent and therefore it needs that additional flexibility to kind of adapt and change as you know, these trends develop and emerge. So um, if you were to just simply try and apply a, you know, a traditional framework of another taxonomy, it's quite popular. It just wouldn't kind of make sense. So we've got, I think, a, a nice treat for our, our viewers and listeners, right? I think we've uh, we've done a little bit of homework. Um, and Christian, you've, uh, you're kind enough to do, uh, I would say, a pretty interesting analysis on, 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 on beta and sensitivity. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just just before moving into that, uh, on your point on the quarterly attribution reports, you know, I absolutely agree that they are, uh, you know, an, an excellent way to understand where the performance and, and risk premium is coming from, uh, you know, and by extension, what one one's risk exposure is. Another very useful uh, and intuitive case of the DAX uh, that I, I don't want to go unnoticed and just very shortly uh, to mention is, uh, you know, to sort of assess a portfolio's manager performance. You know, um, it is always interesting to look at their ex- uh, excess returns and try to break them down into, um, you know, uh, different components that provide a, um, a more detailed and intuitive explanation of their performance. Um, and I think a very way, a very good way to showcase this um, is, for instance, by using uh, the Brinson model, which is a, a, a portfolio management model uh, whereby, you know, the portfolio's manager's excess returns is, in essence, broken down into three components, uh, notably two of them being the allocation effects and uh, the selection effects, as well as a, a, a third uh, component, which is a, a residual component, if you will. So the DAX is very useful here to understand the, the allocation effect in, in particular, which is in, in essence explaining how, a, uh, how skillful a, a portfolio manager uh, is at selecting the correct DAX categories or subcategories or segments. That is, you know, to, uh, you know, how, how skillful he is at overweighting the outperforming categories and underweighting the underperforming ones. And all, all this is, uh, you know, um, uh, reflected in the allocation effect where the sign indicates if he did well and in the DAX allocation, uh, that is generated a positive um, allocation effect. And uh, in the magnitude of the allocation effect where, you know, a greater number shows uh, a great allocation skill. So, for instance, in essence, what this means is that if a, if a portfolio manager has an allocation effect of five percentage points, that, that, uh, that, that means that he generated five percentage points of excess return, primarily from correctly, uh, correctly selecting the right categories. Uh, there's also the selection effect, uh, just uh, for general information for our audience, which is, uh, in essence showcases how, how skillful the portfolio manager is at selecting uh, individual tokens, you know, that, that is the analog- analogous of, of stock picking ability in traditional finance. So uh, this is just another use case that I did not uh, to go sort of unnoticed as, men- as mentioned before, and that I, again can be very useful. Now, so having said this and, you know, uh, jumping into the, the beta analysis that you, you, just, you, you just mentioned, uh, Gabe, you know, uh, again, just for, for our audience to sort of get a good grasp of um, uh, what we're going to, to talk about now, uh, a beta analysis essentially uh, consists of, of analyzing the sensitivity that a, a given asset has to, to the broader crypto market. So, for example, uh, usually it will tell you if the, mar- if the market uh, moves one percentage point up, then the asset in question will change X percentage, po- X percent- percentage points, where X is given by the beta. So, for instance, uh, an asset that has a beta of one means that if the market moves one percentage point up, then the asset will also move one percentage point up. That is a one-on-one movement, if you will. Conversely, an asset that has a beta of two, then uh, if the market moves again one percentage point up, then the asset will move two percentage point up. And, and the same will happen with an asset with a beta lower than one, moving therefore less than, than the market. So in essence, it can also be interpreted as a um, measure of uh, risk relative to the market where higher beta assets um, are riskier and lower ones are, are safer, if you will. And, and, and for those that are interested in the mathematics of it, just uh, 
you know, oh, quick overview. It is actually very simple. It is it's, uh, basically obtained by running a univariate regression of the returns of the asset in question against the returns of the market. And of course, one one might wonder what, what the market will be. Well, in the same spirit, um, you know, as in traditional finance, where the, the, the market is defined typically by the S&P 500. Uh, here at CFB, we have our own measure of the crypto market given by the um, CF uh, Broadcap Index that invests in the top tokens that capture roughly 99% of the crypto total market, market capitalization. And, and, you know, where their weights of the different market constituents are weighted by their free float market cap. So in a summary, uh, this is yet another very interesting use case, how one would go about defining a market crypto, in crypto, sorry, about uh, how one would go about measuring and interpreting the beta for the different assets. And the idea is that basically with the CFDAX, you are you have a much greater facility to actually carry out um, such um, research or an experiment or analysis because you know that the strong foundation of the CFDAX in terms of eligibility, liquidity, and so on and so forth for all of the assets within the AX makes such um, a bit of analysis a lot more valid. I think that's the what I'm getting from you. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I was going to say, I think it's really just about trying to find peer groups, right? I mean, that's really what this is all about. So for those that maybe get a little lost in some of the technical jargon, you know, a univariate regression or something like that, you know, aka that might just be like the slope function on the Excel. We can we can say that if, if you're interested in, in, in doing some some homework yourself. But I think it's just, again, bringing it back to the DAX, I think it's just about finding these peer groups and uh, defining a market. And so with the CF Broadcap Index, you know, it's basically the most institutional, broadest measure of the crypto market. And so we're excluding things like stable coins. Um, we're, we're tracking the performance of, I think, up to 99% of the market cap that has a certain degree of free float that's acceptable for larger players to actually invest into the universe. And then we can just take that, that universe and we can break it up in these peer groups. And that allows, I would say, both passive managers and active managers to basically define these peer groups and, and measure risk and performance as it should be appropriate. So if you have you know, a beta of two and you're not getting compensated for a beta of two, um, then you need to probably revisit that. Again, if you're a passive manager and you're trying to replicate a beta of one and you're not getting a beta of one, then there's something that you need to look into. So it's all about just having tools of measurement. And I think that's why it kind of fits so well from like an index provider standpoint, because we try to measure reality consistently here. And you have a standardized taxonomy to give you reassurance that that beta of one or whatever it is that you're looking at is indeed the correct or accurate beta for that particular asset within the um, universe. Precisely, yeah. Christian, I wondered whether you wanted to talk about um, some of the number one, the subcategory, category level, um, analysis and maybe even a, a patina, a little bit of the results. I don't, I don't know. What you, how do you feel? Absolutely. I, I mean, as, of course, we we actually did run this analysis. Uh, we we did this for the top two hundred CoinGecko assets uh, ranked by market cap. 
And, uh, you know, here at CFB, we only filtered for only 76 of these assets because, uh, you know, these were the only ones to pass the different requirements in order to really be part of our investable universe, uh, where the requirements were some of the ones that you just defined earlier before, like liquidity measures, turnover measures, and so on. And so we we downloaded price, price data from, from the beginning of 2022 until the end of July of this year, uh, 2023 where we calculated the beta for, for each of these assets and then grouped them by their DAX category or subcategory and uh, obtained the average beta in order to observe what the beta for, for is for the different industries of, of the blockchain economy, which is uh, you know the topic, topic at hand and what we're interested in. And the, the results are actually um, very interesting. They're very intuitive and sort of expected as well. So in particular, we, we have found the, the settlement sector to have the lowest beta of the three categories. And, and just a reminder, um, the settlement category is composed by all, all the layer ones, both programmable and non-programmable, that is that supports smart contract functionality. So, uh, you know, the non-programmable layer ones would be, you know, the likes of Bitcoin and the ones that are programmable, those are typically referring to smart contract patterns such as Ethereum. On the other hand, the, the sector application category composed primarily by finance and, and culture tokens exhibited the highest beta, uh, which is sort of expected again, especially from tokens related with NFTs and the like. And well, services category, which is the, 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 the third category on, on our first level of the crypto taxonomy, was sort of in between these two. And it must be said, uh, though, that the category with the lowest beta, that is the settlement uh, category, still exhibited a beta that was slightly above one, which kind of told you that, uh, you know, if you really wanted to be exposed to a more defensive type of token, tokens, for instance, then, um, you know, investing in, in the whole bucket was perhaps not the optimal decision. And, and this is where, you know, the DAX, DAX's taxonomy granularity can really be helpful and um, inform of which subcategories or segments or, or the settlement category can provide that defensive position, those low beta assets. And so, so we did that and, and found that indeed, you know, from um, the settlement subcategories, we have two of them inside there, non-programmable and programmable, as mentioned before. Uh, so no, the non-programmable subcategory has a significantly lower beta than the programmable sub subcategory, that is smart contract platforms. Uh, and, and that sort of makes sense, you know, um, since the non-programmable, you're in essence looking at coins whose main use case is payment and store of value. Uh, and then in the traditional industry as well, the payment industry is perhaps one of the most, it's, it's a very well-established industry and therefore fairly stable. And again, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's arguably the most established use case of crypto in, in, in the crypto ecosystem as well, such as, uh, you know, coins like Bitcoin, Litecoin, Bitcoin, Core, uh, Bitcoin Cash, and so on and so forth. Christian, I just want to interrupt you just one second there, because um, for our audio listeners, there are indeed a set of charts that represent this analysis. For our video listeners, they would have already seen it. If you're really interested in looking at those charts, um, scoot on over to LinkedIn and find this episode. You will find the charts there. A bit of for interrupting you, Christian, and uh, please continue. No problem. No, that, that, that's great that you mentioned it. I sort of uh, kind of forgot about. So I think it's very important that, that you brought it up. Uh, again, I think visualizing this kind of things are very, very important and make, make uh, people get a much better grasp of, uh, of the discussion. 
so as I was saying, you know, uh, uh, of course, non-programmable uh, coins, we found them to, to have a, a lower beta, a relatively lower beta inside the, the settlement category. On the other hand, it, it's peer uh, subcategory, that is the programmable side, which are mainly, uh, you know, layer ones with smart, smart contract functionality, uh, usually known as smart contract platforms. You're in essence looking at the likes of Solana, you know, Cardano, Cosmos, which, um, you know, uh, but inherently they are much more complex protocols and therefore um, there's a higher chance that there's more volatility or that the, that the prices uh, uh, go a bit crazier. And, and if you look as far as two months ago, well, you had the SEC, for instance, suing Coinbase by, by claiming that uh, some of these were securities. Um, but, you know, perhaps that's that's another story yeah. for another time. <laughs> yeah. And, and as, as I said before, um, if on one hand you're interested in, in low beta, Assets. Well, you certainly must look at uh, sector applications protocols, namely the at the culture subcategory, where you are in essence investing in meme coins uh, that falls under the social tax segment into N N N NFT platforms, uh, gaming, uh, VR and AR protocols, and so on, so so on. Which which, well, it is well known that these assets are extremely vo uh, volatile. Therefore, justifying the high beta, you just only look, have to look at the at the NFT frenzy period and then, you know at, at the price movements of those coins during that period. Um, so, so what we found to be relatively uh, interesting is that inside the services category, which again was sort of in between settlement and uh, sector applications, the infrastructure sub subcategory uh, primarily composed of uh, scaling. That is sort of like an interoperability, which is sort of layer twos, as Gabe was pointing out earlier, uh, as well as by computing protocols, has a very high beta as well. And, and therefore, during bull runs, uh, you know, the infrastructure subcategory could also be very attractive investment alongside the, sub, uh, the culture subcategory. And conversely, during a bear market is perhaps something you might want to avoid. We did the analysis across a bull run as well as a bear run. So, so the, actually during this scenario, both scenarios, the results were largely consistent uh, as what we have been mentioning so far. That is, non-programmable uh, coins and tokens are exhibited the lowest beta across both periods. Uh, and culture and infrastructure uh, exhibited the highest, you know, uh, both across uh, bear and bull. It, it was interesting to see, however, that um, finance, uh, the finance subcategory, must not be forgotten about, as uh, you know, it still exhibited relatively high beta, as it is part of the sector application category. Uh, and recall that this is the, the category of the highest beta, and in particular, the finance segment. Uh, what I wanted to point out is that it exhibits high beta during bear markets. So probably something uh, you know to to avoid during these this scenarios and stick with non-programmable layer ones. Sure. It's a very interesting analysis. And it, um, one thing that kind of stuck out to me is how it can kind of corroborate kind of a wider known narrative in, in, in the crypto space. So everyone knows this uh, Bitcoin dominance chart and uh, the, you can kind of study it and you can kind of see that, you know, when Bitcoin tends to dominate uh, the rest of the market, it's typically because, you know, maybe not good things are happening. There's, you know, a lot of risk off sentiment and stuff like that. So it, it's very interesting to see how we've taken kind of a different approach. We've applied, you know, our, our classification structure, uh, studying, you know, two different market regimes and seeing that these uh, relationships are widely mostly consistent and kind of corroborate this historical, uh, well-known narrative of, of Bitcoin dominance. And uh, I just want to say one thing, uh, one last thing that, you know, kind of in summary, um, you know, with this 
beta sensitivity analysis, you know, it's basically gives the portfolio manager in this example, if you are an active manager and your view is to be bullish and you think the entire crypto market's, uh, you know, going to outperform, um, you're going to be able to look at our taxonomy, our classification structure and filter and screen through that, study that and uh, and see, you know, like the, the culture uh, subcategory or what was the other one? I think it was the finance one are, are going to be higher beta segments that you want to have exposure to. So you don't want to be neutral those. You want to be overweight those. And you can expect, uh, you know, your portfolio on on that overweight to just purely kind of outperform if these, uh, you know, relationships persist. So that's where I think it can be very useful on a practitioner level. What I would ask you now, Christian, is um, for practitioners and observers alike, you know, casual observers like me, what would be your maybe three takeaways from your sort of like um, commentary today? I believe that the key takeaways are that, uh, you know, it is sort of imperative to have a taxonomy structure in place for the crypto market in order to correctly understand, for one, um, risk exposure, to understand performance attribution, as we discussed just a, a few moments ago, either in the form of beta analysis or quarterly attribution reports or allocation of effects across DAX categories, categories or any other. And overall, and most importantly, to understand intuitively what a given protocol really does at its core and, and therefore where one might be putting its money at. I, I think these are, these are essential questions one needs to ask himself before making any investment decision. Uh, and a classification structure such as the DAX can just provide the, the tools in order to do so. Okay, guys, uh, that was really, really educational, informative, uh, really enjoyable, illuminating conversation. We thank you a lot, uh, Christian, for coming along on the show, for doing all that work as well. I mean, it's not often we get someone doing actually a long piece of, uh, you know, quantitative research before they come on to talk about it on the show. So we thank you a lot for that as well. So, yeah, that's just about it. Regarding other content, apart from the, the, these podcasts, we do have a weekly newsletter. We do have a monthly market recap produced by Gabe Selby, CFA. And of course, at uh, the quarterly level, we do have the quarterly attribution report, which uses which uh, classification structure? Of course, the CFDATS. So um, if you'd like to see the CFDAX in action again, go find the most recent QAR report. We do appreciate you joining us for another time and uh, we hope to see you again for another episode of CFB Talks Digital Assets. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>